Hey everybody, it's season three. We did it. We've traipsed through the celluloid drive-ins, diners, and dives, schmoozed with rubber monsters, and swum oceans of temper paint, and laughed along with you all the way. And we couldn't have done it without the support of our incredible patrons. If you like the show, if you like what we do and want to help us do it bigger, better, faster, stronger, head on over to patreon.com slash quillandfilm, Q-U-I-L-L-A-N-D-F-I-L-M. For just five bucks, you get access to our very large catalog of Patreon exclusive episodes. You can listen to us talk about Mandy, all of the Exorcist films, or all of the Die Hard films, or all of the Lethal Weapon films. Welcome to season three. It's going to be our best season yet, and we would love for you to be a part of it. So head on over to patreon.com slash quillandfilm. And now, enjoy the show. Wow, nice, man. You did it in one. Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks I'm Carl Hartley And I'm Max Peterson And you are two episodes deep yeah. In season three, God, yeah. baby. I'm super excited. Sorry, I'm still about reeling it. from the from our previous try. This we did. Intro. We had a false start, and I really wrecked it hard. <laughs> <laughs> you may have actually somehow skinned your knees on that one. I did. Like I have scabs from how bad I I flubbed the intro. You became a late '80s skateboarder. <laughs> I did. I was. I was very gnarly. I was terribly tubular and totally rad. We are continuing our our, uh, Ides of March series. We're walking you through our four favorite assassin films of all time. Uh, Last week we did Lady Snowblood. This week we're moving into... uh, A A little more French, perhaps? Yeah, a bit more uh, reserved. A little bit, yes. Mm, I've already said that the French are... um, They've got a sort of there's a jouissance to this movie, Carl. It's absolutely it's mm, oh, très très magnifique. It's oh, très bien. It's gorgeous. It's Jean Pierre Melville. It's one of the best. Can't. Shut the fuck up! I need to. I'm doing the patrons, French man. He's sorry. I did not mean to derail your podcast or anything like that. We'll talk about. Don't Jean-Pierre you have a Mendes. restaurant? To run? Are you d- <laughs> That's right. So I based I my know, French accent. Al- it always ends up sounding like him. <laughs> well, I can't help it, man. It's the most exposure I've ever had to a French person. Um. So, we uh, we couldn't do this show without the support of our patrons. You heard our little bumper up top talking about Patreon.com. Uh, one of the perks you can get from that are shout-outs on the show. We would like to thank the people who make this possible, who right allow up, us. Right top. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we would love to thank uh, Brian Jackson. Connor Sweeney. Daniele Hartelli. Uh, David Rowney. John Shiby. Casey Shiby. Kelly and Mike Wagner. Katie Clark. Kevin Ramirez. K-Ram! Sister Sarah. Oh, that's some little Game of Thronesy. We'd also like to thank William Rockwood <laughs> and Jeff Morgan, the JMO. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We love you. We love you all. We genuinely do, man. Like you, you guys are the reason that we're heading into. By the end of this season, we'll have 280 episodes or some Fucking crazy shit wild, like that. Man. Three years deep, and the only reason we we're able to continue doing it because we've had mics die and we've had hard drives fail. Yeah, man. And the patrons keep us alive. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep us on the air. Thank you. Much love. Kisses. Mariah. You want to talk about it? Can we? Let's do it. Oh my god. Today we're talking about 1967's Les Samurai, directed by Jean-Pierre Melville. 
Um, you're, why don't you read the credits? Because like you can't read my handwriting. I can't read your handwriting. I can't read my handwriting either, Max. So yeah. it's directed by Jean-Pierre Melville. Mm-hmm. They're written by Joan McClough. And Jean-Pierre Melville. Yep. Uh, so our Jeff Costello, our lead character. Our, is, our samurai. Yeah, our samurai is mm-hmm. Alain Delon. And then the commissaire, or the commissioner, mm-hmm. is uh, Francois Pierre. Uh, Pierre. Uh, and then Jane, she is the blonde girlfriend, the fiancée. Uh, Lagrange? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She is... Um, mm, Not actual. Natalie Delon. Okay. I, my handwriting is rough, man. <laughs> and then the pianist is Kathy Rossier. So. She does a great job Oh, in my this. gosh. Um, there are plenty other tertiary characters in here, and they're all doing work, but these are the only ones of note on the eye. They're the, yeah, they're the top credited. Um, so when we decided to do... When do you want to talk about how the how this season is so carefully structured? The way that we did it is we started with a samurai assassin film, did a French assassin film called Le Samurai, followed by another French film called Le Professionnel, and then jumped and then finished We're doing strong American, with John Wick. America's John Wick. <laughs> America's John Wick. <laughs> God damn it! He's retired and doing Ford commercials. <laughs> <laughs> John, John Wick, like a rock. It's a, like a rock. It's all just, <laughs> it's all just him drinking, ro- hey, rolling walk with the, the label toward the. You camera. gotta drive around, kill people, do with a Ford Mustang. I hate my life. Whoa, <laughs> whoa. Um. So this is my. This is the reason that this one got on the list. La- Lady Snowblood last week ended up on the list because it was in Quentin Tarantino's top fifty films of all time. La Samurai made Jim Jarmusch's like top 10 movies ever. Uh, he said specifically that the reason he made Ghost Dog with uh, uh, Forrest, Forrest Whitaker, Whitaker yeah. is because of this movie. And I think I said on the last episode, and now that we're talking about the film, we can really dig into it. Watching La Samurai 1967, you can see Jim Jarmusch figuring out what he likes about this about cinematography what sort of cinematography he's crafting he his glasses yes that he will use to right. see the world you can through. see the development of his eye yeah it's incredible man more so on this movie than than even the the look there's a the pacing i was gonna say it's the tempo it's the pacing yeah there's he jarmish films where you always, place a person in the fucking shot compared yeah. to their environment there's a very french oh flavor to to the to the pacing of a Jarmish flick and and it's very apparent in this movie Le Samurai. This movie is so slow, but I'm never bored. This it's kind of Hitchcocky. It. Thank you. That is my note. It's like did Hitchcock just direct a French fucking like well uh, noir ac- picture? Actually, uh, Hitchcock cites Melville in uh, like if you go looking through like because this is like Vertigo. Yeah, this is like fucking not even Vertigo. There's um, a, there's a certain way that the noose closes yeah. around our hero. The dragnet. The fucking. Yeah, the cops closing. Everything getting in. closer the and crime closer. boss closing. But he in. is never like. He, oh, I still feel like Jeff Yiff is like still like ten feet ahead. Like he still knows mm-hmm. he's that fucking smart. Yeah, but he also is smart enough to know that the noose is closing. Mm-hmm. It's fucking incredible, man. He he's always aware of the situation. One of my favorite things about this movie um, is how. 
difficult it is to fathom the character of Costello. Jeff and Costello. I love that we never we don't understand him. We don't know where he came from. We don't know his story. There is no like the veil is never pulled up on who he is. He mm-hmm. is just Jeff, and he is a hitman that gets paid a lot of money to kill people. I think John Wick owes an enormous huge, am- dude. Are you fucking kidding a me? Huge debt to this film. My thought, my whole thought watching this is John Wick, that movie series, those writers wrote that series of films yeah. to describe the things that we don't know about Jeff Costello. One of one of my favorite details in this movie which feels in exceptionally John Wicky is the uh, the garage. Yep. The license plate guy. The there's, mechanic, the fucking mechanic, dude. There's a there's a garage. This is the last time. Yeah. There, and he understands it's an unspoken thing that happens. There's a garage somewhere just outside of Paris where it is open and if you pull a car into it, the door will close. A man will come out, change your license plates, give you license and registration for your new vehicle, and hand you a gun. You hand him a big bunch of money, he opens the door, and you drive away. And you will never say words to each other. No. that is Except the second time he says, this is the last time. This is the time. last time. That is 100% John Wick. Yep. Just the, the fact that there's a garage, and if you just pull into it. Nothing, the, my, I have that said, have so many notes here are like, the exchange of information and services without words being exchanged. Which is another thing about this movie that we should definitely talk about is... There's how- very little... There's four pages of dialogue and 90 pages of man walks into a room. Well, four, the very sparse. stark, man. Sparse. I think the first sparse. I think the first 15 minutes, 10 or 15 Nothing. minutes, there's no dialogue, no dialogue at all. It's, it's beautiful. It's you have a bird chirping and a man smoking a cigarette and we sit there... Season one, blue is the warmest color. We talked about the the French penchant in their art house cinema to linger for a long time on a scene with no dialogue. Our opening shot is like it's a bird in a cage and a man on a bed, and that's all I need. Yeah, absolutely. I will watch him smoke that entire fucking cigarette and listen to that bird for five minutes. Yeah, and I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, I was I w- I was in love with this movie two minutes in when we weren't cutting away. Uh-huh. We just watch him smoke a cigarette in a wide shot, backlit heavily by two open windows so that he's kind of just a silhouette with smoke drifting up from him. It's, dude, it's amazing. It, the, and the bird chirping. I love that the bird is not, is not just an artifice. It actually serves it a serves purpose. It serves a major purpose, dude. And I caught, that was, as soon as I saw the bird, I saw the man smoking. We're sitting there, and I'm like, that bird is important, and it's not... It's not an art housey bird. Oh, it's a bird in the cage. It must represent the I mean, fact it, that he is. It is, but it is, but it serves a fucking purpose. Yeah, yeah. It, which makes that resonate even more that he's a bird in a cage. Like the whole the subtlety with which it, it serves a very practical purpose. We learn later in the movie about about the bird when he is in the room. The bird calms and quiets. When he's away, the bird stays the same. But when other people enter. The bird gets very nervous and, and freaked and out. And also, uh, there's a molting that happens. When a bird is... So I've had birds like a bunch. Yeah. And a finch in particular. Mm-hmm. This is, I forget the particular kind of finch, but they get real uncomfortable around unfamiliar people. Right. So he's had his bird for probably forever. So it's familiar with him. It's chirping. and it does its thing. Mm-hmm. 
unfamiliar humans come in, it starts to molt. Uh, feathers, feathers come off. off. Yeah, because it's like I don't know you. I'm freaking out, and his fucking feathers will go. Mm-hmm. So that's when when he looks in the cage, he sees, and I notice too. There's feathers fluffing everywhere. Yeah, the fucking bird is molting because it's nervous. So he knows that so someone he knows who's not him. That's his fucking alarm. That's his it's James his Bond. That's his. That's his James, James Bond, Bond black piece of hair that he puts across the door. It's fucking incredible. Yeah, man. It's. And when I, I didn't, no one would think that it's a bird in a cage. I didn't know the molting thing, but I, I noticed that when he first comes into the room, the bird is agitated, and the longer he's in the room, the the bird calms yeah. and quiets because he's back in the room. Exactly. So it's it's, cool it's his shit, alarm. Man. It's his broken glass. Yep, outside his door. You know, it's fucking incredible. It's a ama- oh, dude, it's <laughs> it's so good. Uh, my second nomination for best eye acting for season one. Uh, Jeff Costello. Fuck man. Alain Delon. I sitting watching him sit there in the car, not looking at his huge ring keys, trying each one in the ignition, while he's watching without watching. Mm-hmm. It's the- fucking incredible. The amount of knowledge and information is passed through his eyes. So this might sound a little bit far far afield. Yeah. But I just got done watching The Mandalorian. Okay. It's the series on yeah, the TV, on show, TV yeah. show. So the main character, Mando, never takes his helmet off. The thing with Mandalorians, you leave your helmet on forever in front of people. You can take it off if you need to eat, but it stays on. Right. And there are moments in that show where you feel like the expression of that fucking Mandalorian is changing based on the performance of the person inside the mask. It's the weirdest thing. Like, somehow... It's giving me they're, performance. They're Tom Hardy in it. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> but this, it's reminding me so much of that with his face is a mask. It very rarely changes. It's it's like made of plastic, mm-hmm. but it isn't. It's like that. It's giving you so much with giving you nothing at all. Another thing we talked about during Lady Snowblood, the fact that her face stays very still, but her eyes communicate so much. Without doing, with you're not like, you're not mugging. You're not doing you're this not, weird. You're not chewing on eye scenery. You're barely, barely flexing the lower eighteenth percent of your. <laughs> right, it's like it is one follicle of your lower eyelids. Fucking thing is twitching. It's akin to, to Hook, where where uh, uh, Dustin pick, Hoffman pick, figured out the one pick, muscle that would twitch pick, his mustache. Yep. You know, like it's that type Incredible. of shit. I think it's the intensity of the performance is probably what it is. On the this movie, okay, so we did talk about this. It's an hour and forty five minutes long, and it's p- slow paced. I'll be straight up with you, a listener. Or it's it's actually if you like procedure. This movie is all procedure. Police procedural. There's you. We get both. We get the procedure of the police. A very and everyone is super good at their fucking jobs. That's mm-hmm. what I love. The police aren't. They're not the not Keystone bumbling. cops and bumbling. They are super fucking efficient. And no, our head fucking commissioner. Pegs him right away. He's like, you fucking, there's no doubt in my mind, like, you fucking killed this guy. I just got to find a way to make it stick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And our Jeff is the best at what he does. Right. And it's these two. It's fucking cat and mouse at its best, but it's like cat and cat. In a way, yeah. There um, are no mice here. It's just like everyone is super effective at what they do. Let me talk about the editing really quick. All right. So ultimately... To, just so you're not completely lost, listener. Yeah. Jeff Costello is a hitman. He's hired by a crime boss to kill a club owner. He kills a club owner and five people see him leaving the club. One of them sees his face. He's caught by the cops. They arrest him. They do a lineup. They fail to identify him, so he goes free. But the cops don't let up. 
Since he was arrested, the crime syndicate also wants him dead. So he's got the cops and the crime boss who originally hired him trying to track him down while he tries to evade the cops and figure out get, who the crime boss is so that he can go whack take care that of guy. That. Yeah, he's trying to go. He's hunting the crime syndicate while the crime syndicate and the cops are hunting him. It is very catching me. I'm smiling so hard right now. So that's that's it. And one of the things that mm. I love about this movie is. It is incredibly simple. It is so super. I said, I explained it incorrect. Like my words were horrible yeah, for yeah. Lady Snowblood that there aren't any stakes. It's a very small story. Yeah. Like this is the ultimate straightforward. We don't even know who the fucking guy is that he hit Mm-mm. other than he's a club owner. Yeah. Marty. Marty owns Marty. a club. Marty owns a club. And he even says to the pianist, he's like the tonight was the first, uh, yesterday was the first and last time I ever saw him. Yeah. Why did you kill him? I was I paid know. to kill him. I was him. paid to kill him. I love that. By the way, the two times that he says that. And <sighs> and God the callback it. at the end to that line yep. and the uh, the implied callback to her response the first time they're in the car. She's like, why did you kill him? And he's like, I was paid to kill him. And she's like, what kind of a man are you? And then at the end, when I mean, I know we're jumping all over, but when he shows up and he points the gun at her in that crowded room and she goes, why, Jeff? And he goes, I was paid. I was paid to. She doesn't say anything. And that's another interesting thing. He was paid two million dollars to rub her out. Why? Right. Well, did she have a connection? But because she's a loose end, she's a loose end. We kind of explain that. And I think that they did it in that such a way so that he would be gunned down by the police. We can assume anything like how and how much is set up, how much isn't, how much. She could have been in on the hit. Part of me at some let's point. Save, let's fuck. save the end until the Sorry, end because yeah. that no, the end is so. I have so many questions. At yes, the end. it's so it's so open that I think we need to dig into it as a piece at the end. I just wanted to I just wanted to talk about how this movie can right how it like brings the because our story essentially what we see is else, there's yeah. a hit that went bad. Well, the hit it was went six, right. It went yeah, it right. went fine. But his whole setup of the hit he's covering all of his outs mm-hmm. he's hedging his bets he's got his alibi that he is has so his... am- that sequence of him setting his alibi it's up. incredible it's fucking awesome he leaves he's the hit is like gonna be at midnight or whatever and he leaves for the hit at like 5 p.m because he's got to lay the groundwork yep so really quick when he when he leaves in the morning for the hit the the fact that he always has his hat on the same peg and the coat is always on the same peg his apartment tells you nothing at all about him nope he likes he likes evian and in french silk cut cigarettes Mm -hmm. filterless yeah and that's it yeah that's all you know about jeff and he has a finch and he has a finch and the finch is not, when we find out that the finch isn't even a pet, it's a tool. Yeah. Like one. He barely remembers to feed it. I read that differently. He, I, I, I was like, it's I thought part that of was, his thing I thought that was it. Melville giving us like a tiny glimpse into like the, the finch has no food. I'm going to feed it. Well, I, if, I he, think, if he doesn't feed it, it dies and he doesn't have an alarm system anymore. That's true. Um, so r- right out the gates, the first the first thing I notice about this movie is how it is slick. Actually, here I, I I kept a running list of all of the the words that popped into my head as I watched this. And the number one, I think it's I think for me, if I was to give this a one word review, elegant. Fuck yeah, man! In all in every sense of the term, this movie is elegant. Right. Everything from the way they dress to the way they move it, to the. 
the way the story unfolds. And a part of it is for sure the Criterion um, restoration. Oh, it's but so it's so beautiful. slick. It's very stylish. The music is, it's kind of got, it's got like a weird kind of bebop jazz vibe yeah. to the score. Um, deceptively simple because it is very straightforward, but at the same time, it manages to be... There's so much be... nuance, though. There are so many little things that we... We get so inform- so much information for something that seems so simple. It's my favorite way it's, to act. It's, com- you know, it's the the elegance of this movie is the two the two men that are going to his apartment to to place the bug. Yeah, them realizing that there's somebody coming down the hallway, so they continue going up the stairs, so they're not seen mm-hmm. to let the man go down, and then they come back. They they don't ling- they don't linger on that. It's just something that happens, and we we understand completely why that happened. Right. Because if oh shit yeah if they would have stopped there they had to keep going up the stairs right, so that they, they wouldn't see him. If someone asks that guy later like did you see two men and they're like yeah did they go to Costello's apartment no they went upstairs exactly. It's this movie is full of moments like that mm-hmm. where. I have this note several times. It's finally a fucking movie that I have watched that that knows I'm an intelligent viewer and allows me to be... Yeah, this movie respects inte- its audience. It, it absolutely fucking does. This, and There's this is, so many little things that happen. This man, is how you... I think this is how you make a complex film. You make it super it's straightforward. all showing no telling. Yeah. Well, well not, and not just that. You make it super straightforward and then you... You add uh, ambiguity throughout every single part of the movie. So you give the viewer, you, I mean, look, if you and I were to sit down and talk about each sequence of this movie, like exhaustively. We'd be talking about this movie for eight hours. We'd also be talking about two different films. We would be, yeah. So much of what makes this movie so complex and multi-layered and all of the threads that run through and connect to everything, all of those complexities are really ambiguities so you write the movie in your no head. you are i'm constantly creating plot and backstory and filling in the gaps yeah. and it's fucking incredible. you are deciding the relationships you are deciding and I motivations i think that most of the time mine are lining up with the writer and the directors but i don't think all of the time which is incredible right and i'm making my best guess well we for a lot of this i think this is kind of that thing where like when you ask certain director you you ask a director like oh what did the end of your movie mean and they go my favorite response is like well i what did what What did you think what did you think like when people would endlessly ask like okay the end of inception what does the top mean and I, I think it's to the director's credit that he was always like... Nolan's he, like, well, what do Nolan's you think? Nolan's like, what do you think? And they're like, well, no, but what is the real answer? And he got, I, I think one time he was like, there is no real answer. That's the whole That's why point. I stopped it. <laughs> yeah, that's why you go amb- ambiguous with it. Yeah. That's why... That's the point of the... This movie's for you. Of the gray area. You decide. You decide. You wrestle with it. You think about it. And Did he know that he was going to his own death? Was he committing professional suicide Hold by on, going wait. in? I'm sorry. Wait. I know. you. I, all I want to do is talk about the ending, I too. Know. But I want to I wanna <laughs> earn the ending. You know what I mean? Of, uh, because the ending is earned. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. This is not a cheap... It is definitely a, a you... It is definitely an open-ended ending. It's very yeah. ambiguous, the ending. But this movie deserves to do that. Fuck yeah, it does, man. So I, one of the first things I notice about this, and I think probably the best part of this movie for me, from a technical standpoint, this is some of the best cinematography I've ever seen. The camera is very... It made me want to cry. Just, it's, it's gorgeous. 
It's gorgeous. It has a Deacon's sensibility for, Deacons. for framing and depth. This is one of those movies that utilizes depth perfectly. People walk towards us, go around corners, walk away from us. It's um, it's stunning, but it also utilizes I the way that I the way that I uh, I thought of it was the camera is restless but smooth. Yeah. The camera is it's, always it's, moving. Yeah. Which is which is just to, watching him leave his apartment for the first time, watching that camera move and following him and then going down the stairs and then then it waits and allows him to go down the stairs. See, I didn't I didn't see this as cat and mouse. I saw this as hunters and the wolf because they talk about him as a wolf. They say right at the beginning there is no more lonely. It's they quote Bushido at the beginning of the movie while he's laying there smoking a cigarette. In the opening credits, they have a huge passage from Bushido and they say there is no lonelier existence than that of the samurai. Oh my God. And then they literally say at one point, he's a lone wolf. When they refer to his injury, they say he's wounded. They don't say he's hurt, he got hurt, he no, got he's shot. Wounded. He's wounded. And they, they set traps for him, like you set traps for a wolf. They hunt him the way you would hunt a wolf. That's how I think of him. And I think that the, the decision, not all the time, but when Costello, specifically when Costello's on screen, the camera is always moving. Whether we're panning to, well, sometimes we will pan to give an establishing shot, like, look, here's Marty's, here's the restaurant. You hit Costello and the camera starts panning back or tracking him. The camera loves him, too, very much. I like that the camera doesn't always keep him center frame, as though he's elusive, He's always moving kind of near It's the, hard to keep him in focus. Yeah, right? they're they're trying to track him too. There's actually let me let me jump to this really quick. Um we get pans, we get a lot of tracks, we get some zooms. We talked about rack zooms in the last episode. We get like in and the, out of the one cars. Of the, one of the first fucking thing like just before the movie starts, we you know, we hold on the birdcage, we hold on him on the bed. The it does that. Did you get the yeah, yeah, the there's jaws a, like the there's pullback? A really trippy. It looks like the room is elongating. Yeah. I'm like, what? My note was just camera, what? I think that's in a weird way. I don't know if this is intentional, but this is how I read it, which is we are here's here's I'm showing you an image. I'm showing you an image. And then without moving the camera, just by fucking with the focus, doing that Lord of the Rings, the road yep. gets really long. By changing that, by you, you're moving the camera. You're without moving the camera, just by playing with focus. And I think focal length. And I think what they're doing there is now come through the screen and into his world. Yeah, we're like entering his room. Into yeah, because the room like, yeah, it's fucking and wild, we suddenly man. get depth in what was previously kind of a depthless. Look like a picture, mm-hmm. like a photo image. So one of my one of my favorite camera moves in this. And they do it a couple times, and it always looks weird. And I think they're do- they're di- not think they're definitely doing it intentionally. J- Costello will be walking down a hallway, right? And the camera will pan, 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 and then the camera will pan and rotate as he turns a corner. But by panning and rotating, they remove the corner. So what happens is you never fully understand the space you're in. The, it's like the ground is changing under your feet. It makes it makes the city very dense and confusing because you're right, okay. Here he's going to turn a corner and then there it is. But the camera f- robs the corner, so you're like, okay, wait, wait. He was going down a hallway and he turns, but it doesn't look like he turns because now he's just going straight again. Where was the turn? It's like the maze that is a police station when the 
commissioner is going from room to room and around. Like I never am really sure where Amazing. I am. Amazing. The number of hallways and it's doors. Fucking I incredible. Know about it somewhere. It's like a labyrinth, dude. It's fucking incredible. It, it, dude, it's it's totally. Every door is oh, numbered, is. but I have no idea where I am. Costello moves through a labyrinthine city, gray and rainy, consisting entirely of doors, stairs, and hallways. These pl- the places he travels to are a character all of them all all to themselves. Um, the just the the sheer number of doors and hallways in the police station, and how quickly the detective moves between them. It's one of my favorite parts of the whole movie is him like figuring it out. Trying to get that lineup together, yes. Trying to bust down an alibi. He's got ten things going on in his brain at once, and he's he's in twelve rooms in four minutes. Yeah, he's like, boom, you, you, come with me. Boom, you, switch jackets with him. Form I mean, in three rows of ten. I'm out. Boom, back this, over here. This motherfucker makes, uh, oh my god, the U.S. Marshal in fucking um, the Fugitive. Like when he's he's doing his whole like, oh, yeah, yeah. we're gonna do this, but I mean, fuck, fuck you, man. It this, makes him look like slow by like comparison. Just slow as like, shit. I think that this. No, maybe Richard Kimball, maybe be. Hold Richard, on. How long ago? Let me check the paperwork. This French detective, dude, yeah. he is like, this is like Sherlock Holmes just did a rail of coke and he's got <laughs> two pipes in his mouth. He's like, I'm going to solve this motherfucker. <laughs> Watson's blowing him. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'm, I'm working on all cylinders. I've added two cylinders. Um, <laughs> um, I also, one of the things I love is when we're that's an image I won't get out of my head. Watson now. blowing homes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so once we're in the police station, I love that every hallway is short. The doors are packed closely together. So tight, man. And every room is small. Every room is airless. There's only one room that has windows in it, and the blinds are closed the whole time. So the whole time we're in, and this is because we're talking about France. Make the connection, man. We're in catacombs. It feels claustrophobic. You, you. F- Even when we're outside, it feels claustrophobic. Yeah, and I think part of that is like, t- is is using the camera to smudge smudge the shape of the world, so you're never quite sure where you stand. That's incredible. Everything is constantly shifting. You never have a you never have ground beneath your feet. I love it. Um, there's a great moment. In the uh, uh, endless blah blah blah, there's a there's a great moment near the middle of the movie. It's when we're first introduced to the crime boss Olivier, the guy who hired uh, Costello to kill Marty. He's pacing around his room, right, and he's saying like he got arrested. The cops held him. There's he is the only good suspect. So you know we got to whack this. Yeah, we got to take care of this guy. So look, don't fuck up again. I need you to do your thing because of the hitman, the other hitman, the blonde guy. And they're like, you got to do your thing. You got to track Costello down. He turns to the left of the screen and starts walking. And we, as he's walking, we match cut to the detective walking toward the left side of the screen. It's a seamless match cut. The room, by the way, this is another really impressive thing about this. Uh, Crime boss, let's say like seven feet behind him is the wall. Detective, seven feet behind him is the wall. The room is matched as well. <laughs> the room and the detective. And I, what that does when you... It makes you, space feel small. Well, it does that, but it also, I, uh, uh, it also equates the crime boss well, and the course, detective. Yeah. There is, because our POV character is Costello, I love the gray area that Melville creates with a single editing choice. There is absolutely no difference at all 
between the detective and the crime boss. They're as just, far as Jeff's concerned? Well, actually, as far, I, I would argue as far as the movie's concerned, we see the cops uh, kick down... Um, uh, uh, what the hell's her name? Kick down... Oh, um, the lady. Lagrange. Lagrange. They, they kick down Lagrange's door, basically, rifle her apartment, dump her shit out on the floor. Pretty much threaten her. Well, the detective sits down and legitimately... As they're like, as these other two cops are tearing her apartment to pieces, the cop sits, the detective sits down, and he goes, "Hey, listen, you made a statement earlier in the police station, and here's what I'm gonna do. There's no witnesses around right now. It's just you and me, but he does, he he needs something to go on. Yeah. So he's like, here's what we're gonna do. If you tell me right now that you lied and that Costello was not here, because she's the first half of his alibi for the time of the yep. murder. You need her for this to work. Yeah." Yeah, so he's like, listen. And he thinks that she's the weak link. So, no, she's totally I not. So much. I think it's interesting that in the end, Costello's the weak link. No, he is. So they're, so they're sitting on the bed, and he goes, right now, if you tell me that Costello was here and that you lied, I will destroy your statement. There will be no statement. You will not have to make another statement. And because you're seeing a couple dudes, and it seems like one of them's paying the bills, and that's kind of close to prostitution, I promise you I will keep the vice squad off you. You will have no trouble from this point on. You will be in no, there will be no legal ramifications for your perjury. We'll walk out the door. You'll never see us again. That sounds like a pretty good deal, huh? And her response. I love her response. So you're asking me to lie? Yeah. She says, so you. So So, yeah. So you want me to tell you to perjure myself. Yeah, she's like if I if I perjure myself and tell you something that's not the truth, you won't sick the vice squad on me and you won't charge me with perjury. But if I stick to the truth and continue to tell you what really happened, you'll charge me with perjury and sick the vice squad on me? And he goes his response is my to that is my favorite line in the movie. He goes um the truth isn't the. He goes not quite because the truth is not what you say. The truth is what I say. Whatever my methods for arriving at. <laughs> oh man! What? Tell me right now, Carl. What is the difference between him and the crime boss? Nothing. There's nothing. Zero. Melville shows Fucking us. Fucking incredible, man. Yeah, he's like, there's no difference between the gang that is the French, the Paris police, and the gang that is hitting crime bosses and trying to get and trying to shoot a hitman. And he does it all with a piece of a little incidental piece of editing. This is this is a masterpiece. This movie makes me smile so hard. <laughs> it's so damn good, dude. This movie's like incredible. Um, and actually, I I also you hate but like the detective a little bit. No, I love him. I love the detective because he isn't. I'm, I'm so used to seeing movies. I've seen a lot of them recently where. The detective, the police are bumbling and stupid, and they, yeah. they don't have any sort of like, just, oh, come on, of course. Uh, this well, is this guy is very refreshing, and he is so good at what he does. Yeah. And that's why I was enjoying him so much. He's got his, I mean, problems. He is as, pr- I mean, our hero is an assassin. Yeah, Everyone in this is pretty problematic. Absolutely. Um, But I really like. They're, like, real. I, yeah, yeah, totally. I, I. In a weird way, I see him and Costello as like kindred. In sure. A way. 
um, I think it's I think it's really interesting that Costello has that ring of keys, and then the detective they later, have a ring of keys. They have yeah. a ring of keys as well. well. I made a joke about it that uh, in France in the 1970s there were only 150 keys to everything. To everything. Yeah. And if you've got <laughs> enough keys, you can you go can get anywhere. In yeah. anything, you can drive anything. But it, I thought that was very interesting, though. The the exact same ring of keys. Yeah. It it's these little uh, equivalencies that make it makes it hard to differ it makes it hard to put people on teams because everyone seems to be the same well yeah because be what's the, the difference between the the two because they act just like jeff when they are they're getting into his apartment to plant the bug yeah they're just as sneaky they they have the same expressionless faces and they're super fucking good at what they do they're methodical mm-hmm they walk in, they know we have to have our flashlight on first and then we'll draw the blinds and then we can do this and then we'll, we, we'll take our steps and we'll do them in exact reverse order. We will, there'll be no evidence that we were here except for the finch. But it's fucking, but they're the same as him. And the, I love that the finch is the one step ahead that Jeff needs to fucking avoid the cops, man. Yeah. It's the first thing we see in the movie. The finch. Oh my God. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> um, so after... It's a, it's the, let's talk about the hit, the actual hit, his procedure for the hit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. goes out the front door. I love that there's a cop outside too, because he steps out and he's got his forever his iconic. Oh my god, dude! That pop that collar, pop collar raincoat, the fedora. He's always adjusting the brim just before. He, god damn it, I love. He him. turns and sees the cop. Like sees him and then like looks past him, looks around the street, just kind of standing. A car pulls up, a man gets out, and he sees that the guy doesn't lock the car door. So he waits a second. The guy walks away. He waits just long enough for that incidental detail to pass out of the police officer's mind, like that guy, that car. Once that's out of the cop's mind, Jeff walks over, pulls open the door, sits down. The detail of him not looking around. Yep. Because what do you do when you're starting your car? You sit and you look straight forward or you look at the, the keyhole. You're not looking around. No. So he his eyes go left to right. He's scanning the street the whole time he's trying keys. That key doesn't work. Set it down. This key doesn't work. Set it one above that. He keeps his keys in order as he works. Here's a key. Nope, that one. And he doesn't turn his head. He just sits there back and forth, which is really terrifying because the cop is behind him. Mm-hmm. He's, and the cop is moving down. The, it's a traffic cop. So he's getting progressively closer to the car as Jeff is trying keys. And you're like, by the way, this movie, for its slow pace, this is wall-to-wall tense. Yeah, from hour and 45 minutes if I'm tense. It's so tense. And it gets more tense. And it gets tense in weird spots where you don't expect tension normally. You're just like... Oh God! Oh yeah. God! Oh God! Um, anytime Jeff pulls out the key ring, it's pretty scary. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the two times he does it, it's getting real squirrely. Yeah. So he drives the car to the garage, swaps the plates, gets his gun, gets his uh, le papiers, drives over to Lagrange's house, comes in. She's like, "Hey, Jeff, are you here to fuck me?" And he's like, "No." No, nope. I came here at uh, twelve fifteen. I leave it, leave it two. And she, someone else is coming at two. Yeah, she's well, like, then I leave at one forty-five. Yeah. He's. Fuck. Yeah, uh, there's a guy coming at two, and he goes, okay, I left at 145, and she goes, 715 to 145, awesome. And then he just bails. I love that you need me. Mm-hmm. I lo- he goes, sorry to bother you, and she goes, I love when you come here, because when you come here, you need me. Mm-hmm. So he, he there, there's his 715 to 145 portion of his alibi. 
And then he gets another portion of his alibi. Well, this is it's where he lands. The well, poker the poker. It room. is. It's the second half of a yep. two-part alibi and the brilliant part of the two-part alibi. Oh, they're not connected. It's independent. Two independent alibis. He drives straight from her place to a rented room in a hotel, which you think is they're probably these are probably like the mob guys. He comes in and he's like, "How long do you guys have the room for?" And they're like, "All, all night. night." He goes, "I'm going to be back here around two thirty. Have a seat for me," because he's not going to leave the city. He's going to go to his second alibi. And he goes, "Have a seat ready for me." And they're like, "You got it." And off he goes. And then he drives to Marty's. Leaves the car running, <laughs> goes inside. This, this is so well shot. It's delicious, is what it yes, is. Yes, Carl. We can say that. We don't have to. We don't have to say like the the camera angles, the yeah, set. It's, it's this whole sequence delicious, is delicious, man. dude. I could. I would just perfectly seasoned. I would gorge myself on to cinema. The fucking chef, man. <laughs> no kidding, dude. He walks in. This escargot is. <laughs> Perfect. He he walks in. He avoids the main dining room, and instead, immediate he because he looks around and he's like, okay, too many people. Bathroom. Boom. Turns right into the bathroom. He gets in the bathroom, and two dudes open the door. So he turns his kind of like three quarters away from them and washes his hands. So those two dudes are not witnesses now, and but he's not washing his hands. He's just running the sink. He turns the sink off. He picks up one of those. Classy as shit, linen, linen towels, and I love that it looks like he's drying his hands. Right? This is so fucking brilliant. It's amazing. He's. It looks like he's drying his hands, but when he pulls the the towel off his hands, he's gloved up, baby. He put his white gloves under the towel as he was drying his hands. He slips on two white gloves, and then it's like magical, man. It's it's (laughs) fucking incredible, dude. He gets. uh, This I thought was actually kind of cool. Is uh, I mean I know it's. It's 67, so, you know, it's not, we're not talking from a movie from the 40s or the 50s, right. but one of our main characters, and I know that uh, France does not necessarily have quite the, the fraught relationship with, oh, the race with race as, as America does, but the lead jazz pian- pianist in this club is a, a black lady, which is fucking rocking. Also, three things. One, she's a really great pianist. That yeah. dude, that piano. And I don't know, I don't think she's miming either because we see well, her hands. Yeah, the, the camera comes around at one point and we see her actually playing yeah. the piano. It's either like totally amazing miming or she can legit play because it looks good. It's Often, good. especially. You know, like. Someone that plays, like, she moves your hands in the right way. And she is. She's moving her hands in the right way. Too. Gorgeous. Smoking hot. Oh, my God. Both of the women here are incredibly gorgeous. Yes, beautiful, too. There's, But there's a moment later in this movie where she's sitting by the phone in a kimono with, like, maybe three quarters of her legs bare. And I. I mean, as soon as you see the shot, you're like. You're like, don't look at her legs. Don't right. look at her legs. Oh god, she's got great legs. <laughs> I can't help it, Carl. No, I mean, I mean, it's there. She's a beautiful, beautiful woman. So this movie is described as a neo noir or like a uh, like a crime noir slash mystery. Yep. I love. It's always raining. It's always overcast. There's not a sunny day in a single frame no. of this flick. Kind of like um. Uh, well, it's last over the course in of Paris two days, right? Overcast. So yeah. Yeah. Um. And I love, I love that we get all of the hallmarks of a noir. We get trench coats and and hats. We get cr- uh, organized crime, a detective. We get a femme fatale who is our pianist. We get the uh, it's like the 
the there's in a in a crime noir there's usually the femme fatale and the girl who legit loves our hero but our hero doesn't see it that's lagrange yep. we get a swanky club cigarettes whiskey and jazz we have every single thing you fucking <laughs> need <laughs> And a mystery. Costello, in his own way, is he's ju- he is the mystery. He's as de- as a, as much of a detective as the detective is. The fact that he, yeah, yeah. I, oh god, the sequence where he's talking to the pianist and he's like, because he after the hit and after he gets away from the cops, he goes back to Marty's. Oh, he goes back. And the bartender's in on this shit too. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, I wasn't because he's there. No, because the bartender is there in the room with the boss. When, when they're the talking, boss dies? no, 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 no. So, oh, oh, the big crime yeah, boss, the big yeah, crime yeah, boss. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's, uh, we, I, I think that this is really telling, and it goes back. This is also go, going back to that sequence where they get the lineup going and they're trying to identify the killer. And Costello steps up. He's our killer. One person saw his face, and the bartender would know who he was because he's working with the organized crime thing. And I love the. It's like. I hate to compare the two, La Samurai and Clue, but it's like Clue, when the way that people lie tells you something about them. Or the way, because when we, there's like, I think there's actually six people who saw him, which that little montage, when he, after he, he shoots Marty, I love how quick that shit is too, when he sneaks into Marty's office. Why are you like, here? To kill you. He goes, who are you? It doesn't matter. What do you want? To kill you, Marty goes for a gun and and Costello shoots him twice and then steps out and walks right into the pianist. Right into her, and, and off you he goes. know that she, she, she got a, his, Yep, she's staring right at his face. Yep. They make eye contact. Yeah, because when they get the lineup, like shit, 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 he's busted, man. She's fuck, it, and she you're so goddamn God tense. And I love that they run three people ahead of him. Talk about a talk about pacing your movie. There's four people on the on the up on stage right now. And you know that three of them didn't do it, but the movie takes the time to walk you through all three of the other God. the other people, and then you get Costello, and you're like, "Well, he's fucked. He's totally fucked because he ran right into this girl and didn't put a bullet in her head." And then as soon as he gets cleared, like as soon as half of them are like, "I don't know, maybe," one of them's like, "Yes," and the other ones are like, "No, definitely." Well, it's not. that fallacy of memory thing. Like even the one woman who. I don't think is in on it. It's like, I think he had a mustache and his hat was a different color. Right. That's legitimate. He did change hats. That's a different but No, hat. he did. He did change hat. But that's how our brains work. Fucks like, a little bit. Yeah. Um, you change the hat, it changes other things. I love that the it's moment he gets, the moment that he's like half cleared, it doesn't make it less tense. It makes it more tense. So here, but here's one of the things I like about those six witnesses. As we're going down the line, you can see who's involved. Not because they identify him positively, but because you know that they saw him and both say they didn't. Yep. They're like, Did, was it him? I can say unequivocally, no, it was not. The blonde girl. Uh, Maybe. I'm not he sure. He might have had a mustache. Yeah. The bartender. No, it's not him. The, uh, like the and mater. you know he had a good look at him. Yeah, because yeah. he's at the bar. He saw him come and face first toward him. The mater D. I love that the mater D is like. Yes, absolutely. He's him. the fucking doorman. He's like, yes, that is the guy who killed him. What are him. you fucking idiots seeing? This is the guy. Are you that stupid? You see him like look at the bartender like, a little bit. Like, really? dude, you were right there. You must are you have seen this on guy. the job He's again, like, Joe. <laughs> we talked about this, Joe. <laughs> look, is it third, third strike. <laughs> look, Joe. I know you and I was both. We got both transferred. We were in from, it together, you know. You know, we both got transferred from Baltimore to this <laughs> fucking region bar. But no, like. The bartender's like, nope, definitely not. The doorman's like, yes, definitely yes. 
And then the the blonde girl was the the coat check chick. Yeah. And she's like, I think he had a mustache and might have had a glass eye and like. Right. I think he had a peg leg I think and a guy, parrot. He didn't. <laughs> he definitely didn't have a nose or any teeth. I'm pretty sure. He or, was a he had, or he did have a nose and all of his teeth. One of those two. It was a carrot. A carrot walking. He looked like a man, okay? He looked like a man. I'm pretty sure. Dude, that's a great. Hold yeah. on to that voice. I like that voice. Thanks. <laughs> but I, I love that the little, I love the, the, you get a sense of these people's personalities based on like three lines of yeah, incidental identifying dialogue where they're like, mm-hmm. I don't think it was him. And you know who that guy is. The doorman. Yes, that's definitely him. And you immediately know who that doorman is. That's, that's, that is a director working very carefully with his actors. Oh, absolutely. Which I love. Um, so at, after the identification's done, Costello's cleared. He leaves. Tense as shit. The detective realizes. I love I, any movie where the detective realizes that somebody did something because their alibi is too good. Yeah. It's too air. It's, yeah, it's airtight. It's too airtight. It's too airtight because he's like, okay, well, we do have a witness, a woman who said that she was with him. And then we have six witnesses who played we cards with him We have a man that night. saw him leave the place at two he's who got, isn't connected. He's got too many witnesses, too many. I love that he when he gets to the pianist, he's like, when they're doing the final identification, yeah. he's like, come with me. And he talks to the witnesses. He's like, this is the last time I'm going to show you this man. I don't want you saying maybe. maybe you are unsure. going to say yes, it's him or no, it's not. This is the last look you're getting at this guy. And he walks him around and everyone does their bit. Nope, it's not him. Yes, it's definitely him. And I like that the doorman who says yes apologizes to Costello. He's like, he's like, right. you must excuse me, sir, but it's definitely him. This is definitely him. And they get to the pianist and he goes, listen. The detective like lays the stakes out. He's like, I have. He goes free on your word. He's like, I have one guy who just said yes. That's all I need to hold him. I have. I one... can destroy his alibi. Yeah. Based on that. He's like, based on that one witness, I can destroy his alibi. He will. I love this movie so. Much. He will God walk. Damn. It's hard not to, man. It's so good. Oh, it's so tightly fucking executed. Yes. Man. Yeah. Dude, oh we're definitely watching more Melville movies, I think, oh, is what we just yeah. learned. <laughs> oh, my God. And she looks at Costello, and she looks at the detective, and she goes, Detective, I can say with absolute certainty, unequivocally, and you're like, this is it. Costello is fucking done. And she goes, it is not him. And you're like, wait, wait a minute. Wait a fucking second. Hold everybody, hold the phone. You start doing yeah, that. I, I have a feeling that things do not as what they seem. Yeah, you're like, and then... Costello comes back to the club. I love that he says, uh, he says, thank you, mademoiselle. Like, he thanks her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, merci beaucoup. Merci. Merci, mademoiselle. And she goes, it's the least I could do. It's the least. And you're like, <laughs> what does that mean? you could do? What the fuck are we doing <laughs> What here? are you talking about? You saw his face. Um, so. <laughs> oh, my God. So Costello comes I still don't know if she's connected to anything or if she's just I don't know. I think she is because later we see the big boss is at her but, house. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, okay, so he, but I'm getting to that right now. Yeah, yeah. Because Carl because Carl, this whole movie, man. So he he gets cleared, ditches tail, which I love that. Him ditching the cops. He's uh, constantly ditching the tail. Half of this movie is him ditching the tail. It's the, fucking incredible. The, the big time. You know the time when they've all got the gallium transmitters? Yep. I adore how long it takes him to ditch them. Because look, if you have 50 cops and 20 reserve and 10 cars, if you've got all that shit going on, 
you wouldn't just like, and then he vanished. We just don't know where he is. It takes him a lot of like, hop a train, get off the train, jump the railing, get double back, take your, oh my God, skip three trains, uh, go down to a platform. Don't get on the train, go back up. Oh, it's supposed to be on the other side. If you have, if you have that many cops going after you, you're going to have to work to get away from them. And this movie allows us to see him working fucking hard to escape the cops, which he ultimately does. But the first time, it's easy for him to ditch the tail because they're not, they don't know. They're not there yet. They They don't don't have 70 people, 50 regular and 20. And 20 reserved, not including the people in the car. Oh, wait, no, the 20 people are the people in the cars. There's 70 70 people people trying to keep track of this dude, and he still slips them. And the fact that it is so hard for him to do makes you appreciate it more. You're like, damn, he is good. It it took him like 20 minutes to get away, but he fucking slipped him. He did it. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, um, one of the things... One of the things, my favorite things is when he first goes, well, actually, really quick, one line of the detectives when Costello goes free. And he's like, can I leave? Yeah, sure. And that other guy comes in and he goes, what do you think of Costello? And the detective goes, I never think. I never think. Um, one of my favorite lines, just because we passed them, when, they, when they're being um, doing the lineup and they do the other lineup, they switch the hat, they switch the trench coat, the, yeah. the guy that saw him leaving her house at mm-hmm. 2 a.m. or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, oh, my brain is, I'm not very observant. I have a composite of the man. I have a composite. It's that hat with that jacket and his face. And the detective says, oh, just imagine if you were observant. I'm like, holy fucking shit, this dude, <laughs> this fucking dude is smart as shit. What I love about that sequence is later on, the detective clears that guy. Yep. He's like, uh, I, I can't remember the dude's name No, he's name like is. super honest. He's like, he's. Let's just call him like Gary. Yeah. He's talking to his other detective. Gary, goes, the 2 a.m. prostitute call or yeah, whatever. Yeah, Gary shows up at 2 to have sex with this chick. Yeah. But Gary says he's, which is weird because he couldn't have. Because Costello wasn't there. Right. So I don't, I don't know. Like, the, did this guy duped him? Or maybe she was shown a picture and got in on it and is just a good liar. Maybe he did see Costello, but he's remembering from a while back. Maybe he's in on it. Maybe he's not. But I love that the detective goes like, uh, Gary's absolutely sincere, but I'm positive the girl is lying. I like that he's wrong. Yeah. Because they're both lying to him. Because Costello was killing Marty at 2 o'clock. Right. He was not, <laughs> not leaving there. Lagrange's apartment. Um. So... No, he did. He went back and then turned the light on and walked out like he was. He was seen at two a.m. by that man. Okay. It absolutely was part of his alibi. Was to he he does the hit. He drove. He drives back to her house just enough time to stand in front of her door, turn the light on, and be and walking leave. out. Oh, 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 yeah. Because yeah. after he does that is when he gets in the car and goes to the exactly. poker game. Okay, yeah, yeah. I forgot that he went. Yeah, I forgot so he went Gary's back. not in on it at all. No, so Gary did legit see the guy leaving. Which is why that works. Right. Yeah. So the cop, the detective's right. He's like, that guy's telling the truth, which is weird because I know the girl is lying and I don't understand. How, how does that work? Yeah, he's like, yeah. I don't understand how these two things can both be true. He's got which really good why instincts, it's, yeah, it's which is why great. it's messing with him because he's like, he definitely this wasn't. doesn't make sense. Yeah, because he's like, he definitely wasn't there, but, but that guy definitely, definitely saw him yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, this is brilliant. <laughs> um, one of my, so... My, the scene when he goes back to Marty's for me is the quintessential like crime noir moment. He walks in and you see the coat check girl go like, what the fuck? Why are you here again? The doorman steps back from him because he's like, what the fuck? Weren't you just questioned by the cops for being in this club and maybe Weren't killing you the a owner? Before? Yeah. <laughs> I think you were a carrot before. Wait a minute. Didn't you have... Ten gold teeth and a Motley Crew t-shirt on last time. Looking a lot less piratey. 
Dude, your coat check girl is like just a dude, she, I've been smoking in my whole life. <laughs> um, the bartender who comes over. Well, the first bartender comes over. Hire like, me for voiceovers later. I'm not gonna let it die. I'm sorry. I'll just, let it die now. Okay, I was. It's out of me now. I was like, you keep going. Do no, it's the last one. Okay, was uh, it? Maybe, maybe okay. not. <laughs> but he sits down at the bar, and in a weird way, we talked about how some of the music and some of the like Ronin elements of Lady Snowblood reminded me of a western. Two moments in this movie really have western feel to me, and this is one of them. He sits down. The first bartender, not the mob bartender, comes over, and he's like, "What can I get for you?" And he goes, "Whiskey." Brings him over a glass, ice pour some whiskey in there and then the big head bartender who's definitely bought and sold comes over and he goes look he goes you know if you hadn't been cleared cops might think that this was a <clears throat> murderer returning, returning to the, the scene, scene of the crime, crime. <laughs> this is fucking awesome because jeff is sitting there watching the p the pianist and he's running through the possibilities he's trying to figure out why she would lie yep he has to come back he's got to figure this out mm-hmm. so he sits there and he's and he he orders a whiskey the whiskey gets poured he pays for it without touching it and leaves I love that she sees him looking at her, and as she's playing, she does this weird, like, head shake thing. Mm-hmm. Like, go. go. Don't be here. Go. It's fucking and Jeff does. He's yeah, like, he does. He leaves. He puts his money on the bar. He waits and walks for out. her to get done, waits at her car. Gets in her car. Says, Do you mind if I get in? Carl, rear projection car driving. I know. Carl, rear. I know. Rear projection car driving, Carl. <laughs> Most of he gets in the, but I, but this is that thing of Jeff being like a a detective in his own right. When they get back to her place and they do the whole like, why did you kill him? I was paid to. What kind of a man are you? They get back to her place and he's she's like, you want a drink? I'm gonna play some piano. And he he comes and stands by her and he goes, there's two reasons that you would have lied. One, you enjoy playing with the police. And the way he says it, that's not that's not it. That's not it. And he goes, two, you were told. To not recognize You're in me. on this shit. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, what would that matter? And he's like, well, and we'll jump back to it. But he's like, when I went to go pick up my money, they tried to kill me. And now they're trying to find me. And I need to find them. I need to find them before they find me. So you're going to tell me where those people are. And she's basically like, uh, uh, call me here in two hours. And then that actually becomes <laughs> super important because it leads us right into the climax. Before he even goes back to Marty's, we see him after he leaves the police station, the detective puts like other detectives on him immediately. He's like, yeah, you're free to go. You guys follow that motherfucker. (laughs) And they put I think he puts one guy on him because he because at this point they don't know that Costello is. He just has a hunch and he's going to follow that. He's like, I got mm." he underestimates him. Yeah, he does. Well, he doesn't know any better at this point. I dude, this is Carl. I'm like I'm like shaking with energy. This is such an awesome flick. So Costello gets into a ca- well, first of all, he gets into the he gets into a cab out of the police station and says, "Take me here." Uh like one rue plus or whatever. They drive there. He gets out and goes into the building and we see his tail call in on his awesome 1967 car phone. Dude, that detective's phone, that like weird Art Nouveau Art Deco phone on his desk. I, Incredible. I, I with like the red, yeah, clock, man, dude. that phone. Fo- I want the that dials phone on the so front, like right on <laughs> like the front, right on and the, the front. phone is way in the back, and it looks, it looks like, like almost like it's designed by Fisher Price, but for adults. It looks like a Harley gas tank with a phone <sighs> built into it. It looks like a Pee Wee Herman phone. 
It does. It looks like a Pee Wee Herman phone. <laughs> so the tail, uh, the guy who's tailing him calls in and he goes, hey, he just walked into this building. What do you want me to do? I love that the detective, we find out that Costello has memorized the entire metro stations. But the detective is on the level too. Because yeah, he's like, there's two exits. Yeah, he me- goes, there's two, there's two exits out of that building um, that you can, that you can check. And he goes, go to the back one and stay there and hope he goes out that way. But so while he's in this like one Rue Plus or whatever it is, he there's this great shot where he starts walking up a spiral staircase and we see him go up one side and then we see him go up the other side. And then the camera has been panning up to follow him and he goes up one stairs around the landing up the other stairs and you can see the third staircase above. Right. With like the broken ass railings and shit. And they're, they keep panning up and up and up and up and and he doesn't reappear. We've lost him. The camera has lost him. The camera has lost him, but more so than just that. Um, oh, it's he's actually where he walks into is the Chemin de Fer d'Orleans. Um, but it's this twisting staircase, and the city actually hides him. This to me, do you remember? The, it's that thing in movies where like someone's standing and staring at you, and a crowd of people walks by, and, and then, then they're gone, and they're gone, or a bus drives the bus by. Go, it's always the gone. bus that goes. It's like a yep, a bus, and they're gone. But in, have you seen John Wick three yet? Oh yeah. Okay, and John Wick three when they're in the airport. Oh my god! And that crew of people walks by, and John's just then he's vanishes. Yeah. So this to me is that Costello goes up the stairs and up the st- where'd Costello go? It's a staircase. Where the hell did Costello disappear to? And he, the and it's, it's that thing. It's the it's the rotating pan around a corner that erases the corner and confuses you. They're using this obtuse cinematography to create this gray space where you're not sure what the architecture actually is, and the city hides him. I love it, dude. I love it. It's I I watched it. I watched that. There's like two scenes in here that I actually watched a couple times and that was it because I was like, I it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. So we see him escape the cops. What do you got? Is this the phone that they use? No. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, so he gets to a walkway over a train station. Talk about genius sound design. It's like this breezeway, right? It's like a, an open air overpass, and we're shooting an over the shoulder shot of a blonde man standing and waiting. And it's, dude, totally to Melville's credit, he lets Costello walk towards us because Costello's like two hundred yards away, and we stay in a static shot over this blonde guy's shoulder as Costello approaches. Do you want to talk about how you generate tension in a fucking scene? Uh, yeah. Carl, because this is I wonder, how you, I wonder this if you is and how I you do that is, is Costello slowly walking up to the blonde man, uh-huh. not knowing uh-huh. what's going to happen, but knowing probably what's going to happen. There's another thing. Remember when we talked about one hour photo in season one, mm-hmm. the, the difference in the blinkers? Book, book, yes. Book, 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 cut to size car because the bulb's yep. about to die. And just the way that that ticking blinker can create tension as Costello approaches the blonde man over the course of like, it's probably a 60 second shot. Absolutely. A train is coming into the station and starting to break. It hits the brakes. And as it gets closer to the walkway, oh. as Costello walks, you hear. <laughs> and it gets louder and louder and louder. And it's this shrieking, breaking train. And by the time he's 10 feet from him, it crescendos. And when we cut to the reverse, the train stops breaking. I know. I was fucking 
Because the moment you see the dude's face, we don't need the tension anymore. Well, we need a Sisora in the tension so that so pulling the can... gun is scary again. So that it shocks you. This isn't just people. This is this is why I love season three, Carl. Because in season two, admittedly, we watched some movies where people were just like, all right, is the camera? Do we have a camera? All right, I think I had my lines. Did anyone got a camera? You got a camera. All right, no, you don't have to come over here. Just get it rolling. <laughs> Roll a camera, and then uh, you guys just, uh, you know the scene? Okay, do it. Dude, this is people figuring out what angles and sounds and how high the camera should be or how low and how to crescendo a sound and now that we're going to have another tense moment so we need to create a beat and the way we create the beat is we cut the sound out and have allow them to talk and then we use body language and we use the, the use of a medium shot in Lady Snowblood using a close-up to to ratchet the tension up and then at the moment of death rack pull out to a super to wide <laughs> to rob all yeah. of the to rob all of the energy from the scene and bring the moment down like this is thoughtful filmmaking at its absolute best this is art oh absolutely this is cinema as art carl oh my god it's it's a it's a stunning shot and he turns and the the train stops breaking and the blonde man is like you were arrested cuts so it's not a problem back to costello it's nothing did they question you of course they let me go Shouldn't be a problem. Well, a problem. And then we cut back to the blonde guy. A promise made. And you see Costello. It's that eye thing. You see Costello be like, mm-hmm. huh. And he, he I, I don't know what it is, but something tips him off. He's like going for a gun. Yep. He still gets shot. Yeah, his arm gets grazed real bad. It's a de- it's a, it is a graze, but it's a deep, deep graze. graze. Yeah, he's bleeding through shirts for like two days. So the dude pulls a gun. They, come on. He pulls a gun and you see Costello reach for it, but rather it's that same Lady Snowblood thing because we're close on these two dudes. Rather than John Wick it, rather than stay close and show the the fight, we do a flying crane shot 30 feet off of the three, walkway. Three blocks away. But it's like across the street. Yeah, and it... And again, it's that it's that moving camera, dude. Yeah, Melville's yeah. not shooting static. That's, Some of that reminded me of like the French Connection, which was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, well, that's... That's what gives this movie its energy. When you sh- when you if you're gonna make a long movie, move your cameras. Absolutely. Because like sitting on a stick for like five minutes, unless you have a really damn interesting thing to show me, I'm gonna get bored. Yeah. But what a way to what a way to show the action because the the wrestling for the gun is not the important part. The blonde guy running away is the important part. How do you show that? You whip pan past him like it'd be a drone shot now, but like right. we're flying past him. Costello gets tagged, gets the gun away from him, and the the blonde guy runs, and it's all yeah. a one shot because you've now given yourself the wide to work with. This is genius. It's totally genius, dude. It's amazing. My um, face hurts because I'd be smiling so much. I know it's hard not to just I sit know, here and grin like and be like gleefully. And and another season three another is gonna <laughs> be the two film nerds is jizzing all over movies like we're gonna we're gonna come until nothing's coming out anymore like, man like these movies no are more s- testicles left fuck these movies are s- these two what a way to start man we talked about it off mic they're gonna be so shriveled they're gonna start a <laughs> doo-hop quartet <laughs> they'll be the new california race by the time we get to our akira kurosawa month we're gonna be like oh my god we need to just um i know we said we weren't gonna scrap it but i can't come anymore <laughs> Can we can we do a Corman month? Seriously, <laughs> I need some Corman in my life. I need to refill my balls. Little Shop of Horrors, Bucket of Blood. Um, 
We can watch Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I don't I just, care anything. Anything other. I can't watch. What is it? Andre Rublev. We're fucked. Uh, fuck. No, we got to do, do a month on that. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um. Oh my god, man. All right, so so the the this blonde assassin tries to kill Costello, but does escape. I love you're about you were mentioning earlier the like if you like procedural stuff this is the flick for you. You're right that so much of the police procedural stuff like I need wiretaps you set up in the hotel there's cloak and dagger shit oh, all over yeah. this he's he's slipping tails and there's there's like lockpick people and that watching the investigation go on watching the crime boss be like okay listen here's the deal we should probably not burn this guy because he seems to be the best assassin in the city. What we're we sh- probably yeah, we could use him more than we, yeah. So yeah. so they give the blonde guy permission basically to go back to Costello's, disarm him, and like get him get him on the ropes so that Costello doesn't just immediately kill kill him the blonde <laughs> assassin exactly. So he's like, okay, listen. We got off on the wrong foot when I tried to kill you. I got $2 million in my pocket. Four million. Yours. Four, that's right. Because he gives him two for Marty. He's like, here's the two here's million the two. as we agreed. Here, Costello, is two million more paid in advance this time for a second contract. Okay? This is good faith money. We got freaked out when you got arrested. And this is this is all of the crime movies we've seen since since this film. This is a thing where they're like, okay, look. You can see our position. When you got nabbed, we panicked and we tried to kill you. We're, we're making s- up for yeah, that. Yeah, we're now. like, we're sorry about that. So here, here's two million francs up front as good faith money. We we want to start afresh. We would like to offer you a new contract. You are the best that there is. We made a mistake. This is our way of like ma- this is that that's uh, um, restitution. Absolutely. I was like, here you go. It's it's the olive branch. Two million francs. Two million. Olive, that's olive a lot branch. of olive branches. Motherfucker, you, <laughs> you can buy a whole olive tree. Are they trees? Branches. It's an olive bush. The olive tur- tuber. I think it's a tuber, isn't it's a tuber. it? I think they're plantains. They are. It's a. It's definitely a. Gourd. I think they're carrots. <laughs> Welcome back. Thanks. I went to make a salad. Well, are you? You're on Tom Waits' every yeah. one of his albums. Yeah. I'm his background singer. And I I don't know music. <laughs> um, but I love, I love this. Like, what? I just gave you four million francs. You don't have anything to say? No, he has a lot to say. I never talk to a man with a gun. Is that a rule? Just a habit. Just a habit. Because he always takes it away what from them. What a fucking or line. Kills them. It's not a rule. It's just a habit. I don't I love it. It's oh my god. For as little as he talks and as little as Everything he emotes, he says. Costello's one of those like, oh, this is something I wanted to talk about, Carl. Just as a big, well, let's get through this and then I want to talk about a big, broad idea. Because one of the other lines is, I never lose, not really. I never lose, not really. Yeah. He's, Costello's cool. He's a really super fucking cool man. You can't, I mean, assass- look, assassins shouldn't be cool. My God. That's what I told Bird last night. I was like, dude, this like lifting boxes for Staples thing is for the bites. Well, that's why I said like every time I watch a movie like this, it's like I walk a little differently and I hear things differently. Mm -hmm. You start looking around, you you become aware of exits. 
Totally needlessly. Ne- unnecessary. You don't need to know completely. where exits are. Yeah. But you become an assassin in your own brain. Yeah. For like a week. For you're like, like a week, you're like, I am the most dangerous person I know. Right? <laughs> You'll never do anything. No, it's just in your head, like, I am. I am Jeff. Yeah, yeah, it's a little too cold for the leather jacket, but you wear the leather jacket you anyway. You pop the collar. Yeah, yeah. You're, just, you're like, yeah, I'm going grocery shopping. Let me just pop the collar and put the fedora on. Like, you look a little more Clouseau than you do. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. You're, <laughs> you're at you're at Meyer, like, you're like, okay, that person's closest to me. Because I'm definitely closer to Peter Sellers than I am to... <laughs> I'm, if I sh- if I shaved my beard off, I would look twelve. But I think if I, I mean, my I could probably get the beard John Wicky enough, and I'm still I'm still twenty nine, so I could maybe pull off like a Jeff Costello thing. Absolutely, I think well, I could do 40. it. Forty, th- really? Yeah, they say because they're like he's thirty. So they actually say his his age is forty one when they are doing the lineup. Oh my god! Because he they just and because one guy's like sixty three or and something. You know what? And they then, talk they and so he's forty one. But I love that when she gives the general description, thirties ish. They just say young, a young man. That's right. So there, Carl, forty one. Young. Yeah, forty one is a young man, <laughs> dude. And John Pierre Melville told you that it's like Joe Hill saying that audiobooks are books. Absolutely, you take it as fact because royalty. Pierre- <laughs> royalty, um. All right, so he steals the gun away from the blonde assassin. Fucking hog ties him in the corner, man. Hog ties him up, and then, well, before he hog ties him, he gets the gun out. It's the fucking Pist- shit. Yeah, he out pistol of him. whips him into like that. You're not quite uncomfortable. You know when uh, you're watching UFC and someone He's gets. He's throwing up backwards. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know in UFC where someone gets tagged, but they don't go down, but you, you're telling like. You can tell all the you lights are going out. You were unconscious for like three seconds. <laughs> yeah. on, you're, you're still moving around, and then you see the eyes come back, and they're like, whoa. No, you went away for a minute. Whoa, okay, okay, okay. I'm still standing. Oh, get the hands up. Get the hands up. That's how he is, because when he hits the bed, he sags forward, and Costello pulls his head back and stuffs that gun into his cheek. I can't help it. Every time I watch a movie where someone gets a gun pressed against them, I immediately think of the trajectory of the bullet and what it would do. And something oh, just like the worst horrible. spot is like right under your cheekbone because you're like, that's your cheek and your eyeball and the top of your head. It's just an ugly place to get shot. It's really brutal. And I'm watching this and I'm like, this guy's 45. That's going to do that's some- a big one. Yeah. yeah. What do you think of all the 32s at the beginning of this movie? I know there's something about a 32 that I the love. Pop, pop. Yes, mm. dude. It's it's such a like old, like 1950s pulp fiction crime noir yeah. no- novelette. It's, it's like what those are. The, Ed, the, uh, how many times in, a, in an old crime noir book did you read like, well, Jim was, he was shot three times in the back with a 25 and you're like a 25. What is that? Te- that's a mouse gun. Who's carrying? Mu- but everyone's always got like. I grabbed my Hamilus thirty two and slipped it into the pocket of my waistcoat and stepped out into the night. I love small caliber guns yeah. because of old pulp novels. Everyone's got a twenty five or a thirty two. They're easy to pull and they're easy to pull. Yeah, man. Yeah, and you and when you toss them, you can toss those down a drain. They're like, yeah, well, big. that's why. Yeah, he chucks his in the river. Mm-hmm. Well, his is not a thirty two. That no, first gun. That, oh, his is like a. It might have been. His second gun is big, though. Yeah. The second gun he's got is a... Pretty big. Yes. I think it's a forty-four. Yeah. It's a big old gun. Forty-five would not have been invented yet, I don't think, in the 67. Because the, the first the is the 1911 45 ACP. That was... That was no, because no... Yeah, because at the time of Dirty Harry, a forty-four was the biggest caliber around. That's why he goes, this is a forty-four Magnum, the biggest, most powerful handgun in the world. So when did Dirty Harry come out? Because that, that was pre-45. That caliber did not exist. I'm not sure on the whole caliber history thing. 
it would just be the the only reason I know that is because I did the research on Dirty Harry because I always thought that line was weird because I'm like a 44 is not the biggest handgun, but at the time it was. So whenever Dirty Harry was, which I think is like 71 or 72, so at this time there's no Pre-day such thing time. as a 45. Yeah. yeah. Whew. All right, gun nerds, measuring <laughs> flicks, <laughs> measuring and flicks. And if we're podcast. wrong, let us know and give us a timeline. And don't be snarky about yeah, it. Yeah, don't be, be an nice. asshole. We're just sitting we're trying. The, we're sitting at a goddamn kitchen table here, trying to have a conversation. Yeah, I haven't don't even had be breakfast an yet. asshole. <laughs> Yeah, don't be an asshole. I have going to look the fuck. Measuringflixpodcast at gmail.com if you know the history of the 45. Actually, don't contact us. You make me nervous. <laughs> yeah, if you know that much, that's okay. Maybe don't, maybe maybe don't. don't send the email. Thanks for listening. Patreon.com. <laughs> but uh, no, so he, uh, uh, he takes the gun away. And I love that what he's doing, he's not like, I'm going to fuck you up for breaking into my house. He's like, all right, tell me about this other contract. Right. He just gives he just gives him his like he shot him in the arm and shit. So yeah. I'm gonna give you a little back. He's like, and I think I that the blonde dude acknowledges he takes that. It. He's like, I shot you. This is actually okay. We're fair. This is fair. I shot you with a gun. Now let me tell you about the contract. Here's the contract. We need, and I love that we don't learn who the target is until the, until the last scene end. of the movie because when he shows when he shows up at the club again at the very end. Let's not do it yet. We're almost almost We're almost there. Almost there. But there's like four people that you think it could be before you realize who it actually is. Oh, oh, it's good, Carl. Oh, it's good. Um, yeah, uh, we get to come on over here on the news. Slow burn, French tension, gallium. Call that French. Frenchin. <laughs> Some people uh, think that's a kind of kissing. Uh, let's see. We got this, and then over here we got. Oh, okay. So the I love that this the second hit. Was probably ordered by Olivier, right? Yeah, like, I would think so. So when we get, but I'm not positive because they know this is a thing, and I think I'm just putting it together. The reason, so the only way that they can keep him on the payroll yeah. and all is forgiven is if they take care of the only credible witness. Yeah, there is. If she if she decides to change her mind, then she says yes. I do recognize him. Then they she fuck up the whole thing. She sort of is the weak link. She actually. is now the weak link because if they pay him $4 million, he's bought and paid for. They don't have to worry about him. Legr- she is the only thing right. that stands in everybody's way. Lagrange as as didn't crack. So we know that she's not the weak she's link. She's good. And the bartender didn't get a good enough look to be a super credible witness, but this pianist saw his face for sure. Yeah. So she now is the loose end. And you also ensure that he is good and on the up and up if he does fulfill this contract. Right. There I, isn't any shady business between the two of them. All is forgiven. Yes. I don't think they'll have him on the payroll, but they Probably know that he not, does. not, but they know that they don't have to. They're not looking over their shoulder anymore. Burn resources trying to fucking kill this dude is probably going to take out half their squad. Right. They they don't want to get John Wicked. Right. This right. is <laughs> this this is basically if the Russian mobster was like, and here is my and son. And here is my son. Pop him and headshot. Okay, we're good. We're good. I'm real sad about it. I'll get drunk tomorrow. We're fine. I'm going to smoke this, Jay, and I'm going to make a new kid. Yep. <laughs> and please don't kill 54. I think that's I think that's what they're trying to do. I think they're yeah. trying to make amends in a real way and then it's elimin- a legit olive branch. And, li- and eliminate the last loose end that is actually... Cut the loose end yep. and Costello's not trying to kill us anymore. But, ah, dog, too late for that. Yep. Because I... I there's the bit where the pian- he he says to the pianist he's like you were told not to recognize me so help me find the crime boss she says give me a call here in two hours two hours goes by he calls her 
She doesn't answer, so he goes over there, and who's in the house? The boss. Olivier is there. This sequence is so amazing. He runs down and shoves Olivier, and Olivier's like, you shouldn't be here, bro. And Costello's got his gloves on. He's, dude, he's, he's come, he's ready he's come for work. correct. He's, yep. he's working. And he gets there, and he's got his hands in his pocket. So Olivier is like, shit, 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 shit. I, at, this, is, this is the other moment in here. Actually, one of three. This is the other second moment that feels very Western to me. The shoot, it's like a Cos- Costello, well, he takes his hands out, and they're empty. He's nothing in his hands, and Olivier sees that his hands are empty. So Olivier pulls a gun, and we cut back, and fucking Costello's already fully extended, gun straight to his chest, and he blows Olivier away. Quick draw McGraw. Fuck yeah, man. There's something about like, all right, I got nothing in my hands. And Olivier's like, I got him. And he's dude, he fucked. Wild Wests him so hard. Straight Wild West. And dude. This dude could draw against Butch or uh, Sundance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeff, Co- I want to see Jeff Costello and Sundance do oh a my quick draw. Oh, my Come on, you kidding me? My money's on Sundance yeah, still, mine, but you mine know. too, but like Jeff ain't no slouch, <laughs> no. dude. Um, so there's this so he leaves there and drives back to Marty's again. Third time in the bar. I love when he walks in, he goes and he just walks right in. He takes his hat off. Now, okay, now we're at the end of the movie. I love this. That he does the coat check and leaves his Let's tag talk there. Because I think this. he knows he's not walking out. I think so too. Because he's when he's in the that car, that informs the whole thing. Him not taking his hat check. He's fired twice. We see him see how many he opens the cylinder on his gun, which is I think it's probably a thirty-eight. So he pops the cylinder on it, and we see that two of the primers have been struck, and he's got four shots left. And then that's what we we're looking. It's a liter, legit close up of here's six bullets in the gun, and then we cut to inside, and in he goes. So as far as we're aware. He's got four Four shots left in his gun. He walks to the end and sits down at the end of the bar. The pianist is not out yet because he's going to have a little bit of business. This is one of my favorite. This whole movie is like my favorite moment of this movie. But he sits down on that last bar stool and the bartender kind of comes over and is like, oh, well, he's smiling at him. He's like, hey, it's Costello again. Hey, how's it going? I heard you got a new contract. So we're cool again. And Costello pulls his gloves out and starts pulling his gloves on. Fucking incredible. Watch it. And Watching that bartender's face change. Um, fuck, I mean, man. I know we can't have fifty-seven nominations <laughs> but, for but best. No, we I absolutely argue. can. But his eyes that that tell you everything you need. The to The bartender know. doesn't have much to do in this movie. But everything he does is is perfect. I mean, a lot of it. Yeah, I would say he's good all the way through. But when he this his, is his moment, his response to Cost and because Costello's face is blank as hell, and he's staring at the bartender pulling his gloves on, and you're like, oh, the bartender's was m- meant to be the hit. But now, like everything's up in the air because he killed like, Olivia. What? I don't know. It's this is Miller's Crossing now. I yeah, don't know what dude, the fuck is going we're on. We're deep into Miller's Crossing. We're at the end of Barton Fink, and we're and like, we're like John Travolta's running down a fucking hallway with a shotgun. No, John Travolta. Not John Travolta. John Goodman. John oh, Goodman's right. running down a burning hotel hallway with a shotgun, like, oh, the mind of the party, and the mind of the party, and the mind of the party. And you're like, I I am completely lost. Yep, I'm so at sea right now. <laughs> but he's, he's pulling his white gloves on, and that bartender's face, like, wait, 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 wait. Oh, fuck. Fuck, 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 yep. fuck, fuck. You're here to work? Are you here to work on me? Is it what me? are you working on? Yeah, dude. You, he starts, like, stepping back. It's that moment in a Western where the where like the gunman's sitting there at the table and he reaches back real slow and there's the little loop that goes over yep, the, the hammer little... and he just p- 
pops the loop off and no one fucking knows where that gun is going to be pointing in like two seconds. Is it me? Is it the guy next to me? Is yes, it all of dude. us? You, yeah, you can like the people who see the loop come off all do the same thing the bartender does where they're like, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Let me, let me quick check my, did I do anything to maybe, oh, fuck. Oh. Yeah, or it's like, and by the way, like, having recently watched Funny Games, the white gloves are especially spooky. Because it's they're not the rubber gloves. They're the cloth white gloves exactly like Costello wears. And then Costello stands up and walks over, because the pianist has come out. She's playing. She's smiling. It's very like, and he leans on the piano, and she only she he's leaning on the piano when Her she sees him. Her eyes are doing all the work too, man. Yeah, she comes Holy over shit. and sees him. And one of the things I love about this, it's such a subtle touch. It's a very subtle touch, but when she sees him standing there. Her, she's playing a fairly like not super complex, not jaunty. Uh, but it's, it's an up. It's it's a well. It's it. There are there's a there's some notes going on. Yeah. And once she sees him, it settles into like a two chord bop back and forth. The the piano. She's still playing, but I love that very subtly. Her piano piece is simplified because she's scared. she can't fucking do it. Yeah. yeah. She's she's lost some keys in her head, and she's like, okay, I can rock this. And she goes, what are you doing here, Jeff? Or she goes, don't she goes, don't stay here. That's what she says, yeah. Don't stay here. And I'm wondering if it's because she knows the cops are there and she's trying to warn him away. I think so. Or it's because she doesn't know that Olivier's dead, because she's not around for that. She's already gone to the club. She doesn't know Olivier's dead, and she's like, We're not supposed to be seen together, you know that. Like, I I covered for you, but you, you shouldn't keep coming back here. It's going to start looking suspicious. And she's giving him advice as someone who works for the crime boss. That is another possibility. So many different reads on this. Yes, dude. dude. And there's <sighs> and then Costello pulls the pistol out of his pocket and cocks it and points it at her, like just leans it on the piano, like right at her in a fully crowded room. And you're like, this is this is not how you work, dude. You you are so meticulous. You can't just blow this chick away in front of 50 people. What are you doing? And she goes, Why? And he goes, because I was paid, paid too. To. Second time he said that. And she, but I love that she doesn't respond because her first question, her first, the first time she asked that question, he said, because I was paid to. And her question is, what kind of a man are you? The second time she asks him that question and he gives her the same response, she doesn't have to say anything because now she has an answer to, to what, what kind, kind of, of a man, man he is. You. Yeah. Fucking incredible. It's, and then he's gunned down. Well, we hear a gunshot, and you're like, he's oh, he straight. just fucking straight up killed her in a room full of people. Because you don't see the gun, you just no, hear, you, you just hear, <laughs> and then that you see like a kind of a look of surprise, and you're like, oh my god, Costello got tagged. <laughs> yep. And cops start it's so fucking sudden and crazy, and I was rocked back on my fucking heels. <laughs> you are so dude. not expecting it, dude. Like cops start pouring out everywhere, and you're like, Costello just got straight gunned he, down. Our our guy's gone. He's yeah. dead. He's full of bullets. And I, and I, th- I think you're right on that read. When he gives the coat check girl his hat, she gives him a ticket, and he just leaves it on the counter. He knows he doesn't need it. When I first was watching this, before I saw the ending, I thought this was like, let's. I thought this was like a cool move where he's like, when I come back to this counter, you're gonna know which hat is mine. Yeah. You know who fucking Jeff Costello is. I don't need to give you a ticket. I come here, you give me my hat because. You, that's a really cool read. I like that read. Not the right one. I know. It's, no, but <laughs> I, well, I, I, I'm not sure because the end is so. Vague. The fact that he doesn't have any bullets in his gun. Yeah, yeah. I think he went in here to die. Yeah. 
in a weird way. Because why make the show of the gloves with the bartender? In fact, in a weird way, I think that the empty gun is his response, his his true response to what kind of a man are you? Absolutely. Because she asked the question. And that's his final response. Yeah, yeah. Her question goes, this is the elegance of French filmmaking. This is the, I said elegance earlier. This is the elegance of that Absolutely. film. Absolutely. Her question is unspoken. His answer is nonverbal. Yeah. It's incredibly br- brilliant. It's gor- The cops are all telling the, the pianist, they're like, we just saved your life. And the detective. <laughs> He's like, oh, uh, shit. The detective goes. Guns empty. Actually, no. Yeah. And he pops a cylinder open and we see that all, that all of the chambers are empty. This fucking movie, man. It's amazing. I love it. I'm going to watch it again soon. Yeah. This is getting a rewatch. This is like... I might give this one another spin like in the next month or two. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I want to come back to it again soon because I think there's so much that I missed. Writing notes. Mm -hmm. um, I find with like foreign films that are subtitled, they, they deserve a second watch. Once you've had a chance to understand everything's being said and sort of get your map laid out so you can actually watch the movie instead of like read watch read watch read watch read watch i I think but because there's so little dialogue in this you're able to soak up the yeah the the cinema of it more yeah and before we go because that's all the notes i have that's that's all yeah i totally love it i think everyone should watch the samurai it's s-a-m-o-u-r-a-i and it's the i that has the two dots umlaut almost but it's not it's not a new i mean can you imagine an i with an umlaut three dots above it oh my god Uh how how does one pronounce (laughs) i umlaut but um (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's the the three dots. You have to. It's i i i i right? You're right. I don't know how umlauts work, Carl. I know that it would technically have a finished school. It would technically make motorhead. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck this goddamn muppet in my fucking mouth is doing. I don't know man. It's all the cigarettes we watched yeah. in this oh movie. Sexiest cigarette. This whole movie is my is my vote for sexiest cigarette for season three. We're gonna have a hard time. Even with the, the unsmoked cigarettes that are sitting in packages on top of his pantry with all of his like water. I have two predictions for this season. One, the Quill and Filmies are gonna be really difficult. Yeah. Two. The shootouts are going to be fucking nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't want to. Can you even? Maybe have... we totally. Can we just change the format nope. of our show for fuck? No, we just have no, to. No, because we're two seasons we deep. Just have so. to have, I, I think there's going to be a lot of like now. a lot of this on the shootouts, just like. And uh, for round three, we've got. <sighs> <laughs> just a lot of exhaling and the clink of ice as I take a big long pull. Oh, of I'm scotch. definitely drinking by the time we get to the shootout <laughs> number one, dude. You better be I'm like at least a little back into the wagon. Off the wagon. I'll be off of it. Off the wagon. All the way off the wagon. But before we get out, there's one more thing I want to talk about, I, and it's and it's a big broad thing, not a specific nitpicky thing. One of the things that I've always loved about Jim Jarmusch, and one of the things that I I, I really identify with him as an as a director anytime i think of jim jarmusch i always think cool dude right he and tarantino when you're watching one of their flicks you just feel you feel like snapping your fingers yeah. you want to yeah. you want like an inch of whiskey in your hand you you can hear jazz in the background it just there's there's a it, it's a french word as it's it means there's no equivalent in english it's jouissance it's a borderline sexual pleasure based on just the overall indescribable feel of something yeah it's something that feels so indescribably cool there's a vibe to it that's borderline sexual in its in its level of pleasure that it brings you jouissance 
Quentin Tarantino, Jim Jarmusch, Jean-Pierre Melville. Fuck yeah, man. Oh my Dude, god. Every frame of this movie feels cool. I know it's not, not a dated frame word, out of place either. No, no. I mean it's a masterpiece, but there's like a Except an, for when the cameraman falls over a rock, but you know, <laughs> no, that's in Lady Snowblood. Was that Lady Snowblood? Oh, that was Lady yeah, Snowblood. Yeah, there's, there's. I don't think there's anything no, there shaky. Is, in no, this there's one. nothing flawed. There's flawless. that really cool like focus pull thing at the beginning, but I think it's intentional. But dude, just it's like every frame of this movie just drips atmospheric cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, from the way he adjusts the brim of his hat in the mirror to the sm- when he shoots Marty for the first time and the the amount of smoke. In the room, hanging in the air from the gun, him blowing smoke upwards as he smokes a cigarette on his back in his bare room. Every his face frame. telling a story without moving an eyelid, like yeah. Look, incredible. it's a, it's a '67 French film by an auteur art house director, and I'm telling you guys, this movie's fucking cool. It's cool. It's intense. This movie makes you want to wear a skinny tie. Dude. It makes me want to wear fucking suits all day. I I definitely was like, gotta start wearing suits. Yep. I'm making mistakes not wearing suits. All right, dude. 1967, Samurai. So incredible, man. Two two movies into season three. I'm already thinking, <sighs> Carl, we made the right decision. We think we did. A year and a half ago. Yeah. At that French bistro. Yeah. <laughs> at our at our French bistro, Max. Our little French bistro. We'll always have our little hummingbird. How fitting that we know, right? that we decided these move this we had a lot of French films this year too. We did. <laughs> We do. <laughs> coming up in season yep. three. We got a lot of French coming up. Well, our next one's a French film. Our next one is a French Luke film. Besson. Directed by Luc. Do you want to you want to give up you want to tell? I mean, you already oh, said yeah. Luc Besson. How many assassin movies could Luc Besson possibly have Just directed? Just the one. Yeah, we're gonna be introduced Fifth to Fifth Element. Ne- <laughs> <laughs> Lilu and Stitch she or whatever killed. the fuck that's called. Yeah, there's an assassination in that yeah, movie. Absolutely. Gary Oldman's in both. Fuck Carl, you're right. I say we scrap what we did and we watch The Fifth <laughs> Element and just totally derail season three right out the gate. No, it's Natalie Portman's first movie as yep. well. We're going to be talking next week about Leon the Professional. Oh, oh dude. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm really excited. I mean, I know. We're going to be three for three and then we got John Wick at the oh, end of the month. Luck, we got yeah. four for four, dude. Ides of March, double high five for season three. Ugh. We're getting out of here, folks. Thank you for thank you all so much. We thank the patrons up top. So Yeah, dude, get ready next week to drink milk and shoot cops or whatever they do stay tuned it's we got a lot of beethoven and a lot more murder for money